Welcome to the Brilliance Resilience Podcast with the Bupa Foundation, a sharing dish of stories and tips from resilient superstars and their friends. Hi everyone, Alex here. Paula and I are delighted to be joined today by Sarah Ellis, who is the co-founder of Amazing If, an award-winning career development company with a mission to make work better for everyone. She is co-author of the Squiggly Career Book. I love that title. <laughs> and the host of the number one careers podcast, Squiggly Careers. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sarah. You're more than welcome. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And of course, I know that, Sarah, you quit your very safe corporate career to do something completely new and on your own. And can you tell us a bit about that? Why did you do it and kind of what have you learned along the way about that? Yeah, so I think, yeah, when you put it like that, it sounds like madness, doesn't it? Quitting your safe corporate career. But I actually don't think anyone's career is necessarily safe anymore anyway. When we think about squiggly careers, we know that they're characterised by uncertainty and change. And on average, we're all going to have four or five different types of career during our working life. So in, in some ways, I think people perhaps, you know, consider that leap from a kind of corporate life to kind of running your own business as, you know, really dramatic, a kind of really big change. Um, and it is in, in lots of ways. But I certainly don't look at my friends who are still working in big corporates and think, oh, they have it so easy or it's so safe for them at all. But I think we all have whatever we're working or however we're working that need to be resilient is probably more important than ever. And I was thinking, what are the things that have really helped me, particularly since I did make that kind of leap out of that world where at least I had, you know, a manager. I quite enjoyed having someone to work for. At least I had an IT department or, you know, lots of colleagues around me, which was lovely at times. And I don't have any of those things anymore. And I think the first thing for me is that resilience is not a solo endeavor. I think you build your resilience by having a brilliant support system. And I think the most important thing about that support system is that you have people who come from very different perspectives and experiences. So uh, sometimes I think when we say support, this uh, implies that this is people who just believe in you uh, unreservedly. So that's my mum. My mum, I can do anything and it's the best thing ever. Uh, and you, know, you can honestly, you can go onto our Instagram account and she doesn't even hide who she is. And you can see my mum commenting on my Instagram going, yeah, this is a really good idea. I'm like, you're my mum. It like doesn't, it's not, it's not quite the same. So it's, it's very funny. So you do need those people, those people who are on your side and are kind of always there for you. But I think actually to build your resilience, you also need people who are going to ask you the uncomfortable questions. Those people who are going to challenge you from a different perspective. Those people you don't agree with. Some of the most useful mentoring relationships I've had have been with people where I don't take their advice, but it does free up my thinking. It makes me kind of think a little bit differently. And I don't think I would run my own business if I didn't run it with a co-founder. And, and that's a big part of that support system as well. I'm an introvert. Helen, my co-founder, is an extrovert. We have very different skills, different abilities. And I think we are much more resilient together. Kind of the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts than either of us would be by ourselves. I was thinking during 2020 in particular, it's been a tough year, I think it's fair to say, to run your own business. And we have both had that roller coaster ride of the ups and the downs that I think everyone will have had. But when you've got someone else by your side who can, they can lift you up when you're having that really tough day. They can just listen to you. They can take on, I don't know, a task if you're not going to get it done just to give you a bit of time to go for a walk if that's what you need. Or they can just give you a virtual hug because most of the time it is a virtual hug. Plus, I don't like hugging anyway. So actually, it kind of quite appeals to me to have virtual hugs. So I think 
that was kind of the, the first thing that sprung to mind where I was thinking, what's been the most important thing since kind of making that transition? I think it's the people that you surround yourself with. And if you are the some people of the five people you spend the most time with, being really considered and thoughtful about who are those people? Are they the right people? And I guess, I mean, you and I kind of worked together many years ago. So do you want to just say a little bit more about kind of what your career journey's been? How squiggly has it been? And Well, I think so for me, I actually when I first kind of started work, I did a really unusual degree. So at school, I'd love the arts. So I did like sociology, English literature. I was going to go and do philosophy at university. And I had a last minute panic and thought, I'm not going to get a job. If I go and do philosophy, which I loved, I'm, I'm not going to do it, go and get a job. And that's not true, but that's definitely what happened. And so I went into this really innovative, very vocational degree in business management that meant by the time I was 19, I was working in a FTSE 100 company, actually alongside Helen, which is where, where we first met. And being honest, it was like an early, really bad version at times of The Apprentice. So it was much more skewed to extroverts. Everyone wanted to be the next Richard Branson. I mean, I really remember the moment where some guy got out his laminated CV, which I will never forget. And I remember thinking, I've made a really big mistake here. This is, you know, I'd got no one who really kind of felt like me. I felt like I had to put on a real persona every day. I had to kind of try to be something I wasn't. And I think really that characterized the first part of my career was I wanted to be successful. So I think I was pretending and trying to be successful in the way that I thought I had to be so following in other people's footsteps trying to climb that career ladder it was all about how far and how fast I could get up that ladder Um, and I was and I am really ambitious for myself and for what I want to achieve in my career and I I love the work that I do but I think yeah I spent a lot of time at the start of my career in big companies sort of feeling like I was just having to work very hard to be something I wasn't I think then once I started to work actually particularly for some leaders who I think did some strength spotting on my behalf, who started to really encourage me to bring more of the things that I was naturally good at, that I really enjoyed, and to kind of foster, I think, some of my creativity and the ideas that I had and say, no, they are useful. Uh, And I started to think, oh, maybe it is okay to be more introverted. Maybe maybe that, maybe, and it it took me a little while, maybe that is okay. And, and, And I think I started to have a few jobs where, I also started to work in companies and for leaders where I felt a much bigger connection to them in terms of I cared about who they were and their values and that kind of match. And so I think at that point, that's when I started to, I think, really flourish. So there's no surprise that actually the moment I started flourish was the moment I started to do jobs I really enjoyed that I was good at, work for leaders I really admired but didn't feel like I had to be them. So by the time Alex and I worked together, I don't ever remember thinking I need to be Alex. I just remember thinking... I'd love to learn from Alex and actually I very specifically sought out a job and an opportunity because I want because I'd seen Alex and thought Alex is so she's full of energy she's really she's got really different experiences to me I really felt like I could learn a lot from spending more time with her working for her and that was a really intentional move for me in my career that was actually a bit of a squiggle I moved away from marketing which I'd worked in for a long time and actually moved into a different department really to kind of optimize my my kind of learning experience and that meant it was hard and that meant that it was uncomfortable at times and I think I learned a lot of resilience from that time but I think that gave me the confidence and the bravery to keep squiggling and to probably make some bigger squiggles like starting to work 
a four day week for Sainsbury's and one day a week running my own business. That was very unusual at the time before side projects were even really a thing. And it gave me the confidence when I was then thinking about what I wanted to do next after having my little boy to be really ambitious about that job and go and be a managing director in a company that I'd never worked in before in a very different style of company. And so I think just over time, I think I'm so grateful for some of the people, some of the leaders that I worked for. And I think that's been really pivotal for me in my career. It kind of gave me that kind of the gentle push that I think we all need from time to time. And I think just being in the right environment where you can do your best work is so important, but not putting too much pressure on yourself to find the thing. I'm not sure I believe in the whole, you know, oh, follow your passions, do a job that you love. I think you squiggle and you experiment and hopefully you get closer and closer to those things that where you get a lot of energy and where you kind of find your flow. That's so interesting. And I, all I could think of when you were speaking, Sarah, was I wish I had had a conversation with you when I was 25. <laughs> I wouldn't be here now, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, I think it's there's something about about how you're describing this and the, and the whole sort of idea of squiggly careers as being almost kind of freeing, sort of giving yeah. giving yourself permission to 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 go the way you want to go. And I'm particularly mindful of this at the moment, not for me because of course I'm at the the end of the journey, not at the beginning. But but I've got two daughters who are who are at the beginning of their journeys, and you know the old as you said the old um, idea of doing something that you love I think can be quite confining actually because then you're on a hunt aren't you for what what is it you love whereas actually if you're looking for different things and understanding that actually the thing that you want to do might not be the thing you're going to do forever is really good so gosh yeah (laughs) I missed out on that but then you would have you'd been at primary school anyway so that would have worked (laughs) I was interested to learn that you are a mental health first aider I am Um, and I'd like to hear what sort of took you in that direction what led you to to want to do that and and what you learned through that process and how you use it now but particularly I suppose the particular thing I'm interested in in here is how you take what you learn there to feed your own and others resilience. So I think I've always been really interested in kind of mental health and believe that people's mental health and physical health are kind of as important and intertwined together and so I did the mental health first aid training with mental health first aid England so you know a a, a kind of a starting level I would say I I certainly don't consider myself to be an expert in mental health but I think what the reason I was so interested in it as an area is I was increasingly finding some of the conversations that I was having with people I felt like lots of the kind of topics that were being kind of talked about were in that area of mental health and I wanted to a, make sure that I could support people in a way that was useful. And I think, um, and I'm very happy to kind of talk about it, I think I'd had some tougher experiences in the last couple of years where my mental health wasn't in such a good place. And again, I think, you know, when you understand those things, you, you feel better equipped to cope yourself. So there's kind of a bit about, I think, helping other people, but also helping yourself and doing those things at the same time. I think in terms of being resilient, the most important thing I think I learned in the mental health first aid program and just generally is how important it is that we encourage people and keep talking about asking for help. I think it's so easy um, and this is definitely what happened to me when I had kind of some particularly tough moments because of my own mental health. It's easy to withdraw, to perhaps feel embarrassed, to feel a bit stuck, to not know where to go. You know there's so many reasons why we don't ask for help 
but that help is out there. I think regardless of what kind of challenges you've got, there is uh, there is kind of so much available now, which is brilliant and I find kind of really reassuring. But it's a we're asking people who are probably having quite a hard time to then do something that's really vulnerable because uh, asking for help anyway asks us to be vulnerable, asks us to admit that we don't know. And I think I remember talking to Simon Sinek on our podcast and he said the moment he realised that actually it was okay to ask for help, it sort of transformed his career. And he says something like, nobody knows all the answers and you don't need to pretend that you do. And I think it's that it's just that point of going, we've got to be careful that we don't have this kind of swan-like view of ourselves that we need to protect, that, oh, we've got to be perfect at all costs and to let people know that it is okay to ask for help and that help can come in you know lots of different shapes and sizes and looks looks different for everybody but I think you know we hear a lot a lot you know saying you know it's okay to not be okay and I think that's got to feel like so much more than words it's it can't just be like oh it's okay to not be okay it's got to translate into in those tough moments whether you're just feeling a bit down in one week or whether actually you're having kind of something more significant happening to you where you might need a different type of help people having access to and understanding kind of where to go and I think that's what being a mental health first aider really helps you with is just what are all of those resources where can people go and all and just the spectrum in terms of mental health you know in terms of mental health is is, is so different for everybody and I think the thing that helped me to be resilient so the time probably I had the hardest time with my own mental health was when I was on maternity leave I had a tough time having my, my little boy Max and when he was born, he was born with something called acid reflux. So that basically meant he was fine, but he was sick all of the time. So every time you fed him, he was sick and he didn't really sleep. And also, I really, really miss work very quickly. I really miss work. And I added on to that, had left a job as I went on maternity leave. So I sort of had this perfect storm of suddenly feeling incredibly trapped, anxious in a way that I had never experienced before. That was completely unfamiliar to me and at, at its worst I do remember one day and you can laugh about it now but it, it didn't feel funny at the time I uh, I remember walking to post the letter after my partner had got got home obviously I chucked the baby straight at him walked straight out of the house it's like yeah you, you can deal with this now walked to post the letter and thinking I really don't want to go home and and that was that was a, a real kind of shock to me I'd not I'd not kind of experienced those feelings before I thought I'd want to be anywhere other than kind of being at home right now. And I think what particularly helped me personally in that moment was finding other people and places who'd got shared experiences. So actually, none of my friends had particularly, some of them hadn't got kids, some of them hadn't just, you know, hadn't, hadn't experienced kind of similar things to me. And that actually, it showed me that you don't need to kind of know people to still get a lot of value from people kind of talking about their experience so you know whether it's even it could be small stuff like the people you follow on Instagram who are giving you who make you feel you know good and don't feel like you have to be kind of a perfect parent um I felt anything but that I think it's fair to say but actually just the things that you can read watch listen to I really like a podcast called how do you cope and that's that talks about that interviews lots of different people all about kind of mental health challenges and I remember listening to that and finding that reassuring there's a brilliant book called what have I done by Laura Dockrell and what have I done now she has some more significant um, challenges than I had certainly during that period but I think the title of that book basically summed up how I felt for the first year of Max's life and that's 
that's a big deal to kind of fit to feel that way and to kind of have have those challenges and I was fortunate I'd done that mental health first aid training before before that moment and I'm so grateful that I did because I think it just about allowed me to kind of get enough help and to find some different places to get me the support that I needed otherwise I think it could have been you know more serious and and had a more I guess lasting kind of impact on me so they're the two things that I would always want everyone to be able to do I want everyone to be able to ask for the help that they need and then I think just always continuing to celebrate and champion the support that's available because it's so it's so useful for people I think there's, there's so much in what you're saying there Sarah and it's it's just really very sort of sobering I guess to, to hear you talking about your your own experience I think that lots of people and when they're having um, all kinds of mental health challenges do look inwards as you've said for a variety of reasons and therefore even if they eventually get help they delay it and of yeah. course the sooner you can get help the better of course by you speaking out about it which is brave in itself and sharing you re- you'll reach so many people and hopefully you know in hearing you they will then seek to get help themselves I think it's terrific and I think it's I think also some people associate mental health challenges with have a certain picture of what a person with a mental health problem is like and to hear from you as a as an extraordinarily successful woman owning her own business running her own career and, and admitting that you know you've had tough times and I think that's it's just great for people to be able to hear that an absolutely brilliant example of resilience yeah it also you know kind of really strikes me that the point that you were making around the barriers that people have to asking for help and even the, you know, in, in the best of times, a lot of people find it hard to ask for help. That feels like weakness rather than resourcefulness, you know, which is a different way of thinking about exactly the same thing. And I was also connecting it back a bit to your early career story when you talked about that and how often in life we we do that. We pretend and act in the way that we think we need to act in order to impress or to get along rather than in the way that's going to make us our best selves. What was the trigger for you in realising that you could drop some of that? I I really recognise it. I'm gay. I remember going into the corporate world from having been in the world of politics, where it was kind of much more accepted and almost putting 1980s shoulder pads on in order to look like what I thought the image of somebody who had a corporate career looked like. And actually, I realised I was putting huge amounts of energy into into that pretense. And as soon as I dropped that, the energy that was going into that went into just being myself. And I was actually much more successful. So I'm curious as how that journey worked for you. I think, and it's kind of a slightly cheesy phrase, but I do I do think it is true. I think sometimes we have to see something to believe it. And I think for me, a bit as you've just described, you know, I spent a lot of years wearing a lot of black, which, um, and that's because I was working in banking. And I didn't really see, I saw, you know, I used to try and try and look quite different to the way that certainly I look today. And I used to try and kind of almost get rid of anything that made me like even female. It didn't feel like that was that useful in banking when I was getting in a lift full of seven men and me, and I was going for a promotion and probably everybody else who was going for that promotion would have been male. And so I think that idea of kind of going, well, what does it take to kind of um, drop the act, to kind of bring yourself onto stage rather than feeling like you're acting? So I think there were a couple of things for me. One was actually Susan Cain's work on the power of introverts. And I think as that came out, 
it was a really kind of pivotal moment for me because that got a lot of support and lots of people were kind of talking about actually just I think recognizing the value of different personalities it's not saying one is better than the other it's just going it is okay if you're if you're not an extrovert you can still be successful and I do think sometimes we hold ourselves back when we make assumptions about about things that we think are true so I think for a long time I kind of held this belief of to be successful and achieve the things that really matter to me I need to be an extrovert so I connected those two dots together and kind of told myself those things were true. And so that's the kind of the life that I led. And that wasn't necessarily anyone telling me that or I'd not necessarily got evidence of that. It wasn't, I wasn't kind of testing that belief. It was just a kind of limiting belief that I'd got in my mind. And so part of it, I think, was, you know, starting to kind of see it elsewhere in terms of being able to read about it and learn about it. And you did genuinely having some of those kind of aha moments of going, OK, that does work. And then I think just starting to work for lots of different t types of leaders where I did I did start to realize oh there isn't a blueprint for success I think I I was sort of searching for uh, well give me the formula if you tell me what the formula is like I'll work really hard and I'll, I will follow that formula for all it's worth and I think once you give up that idea and appreciate that actually the people who are doing brilliant work who are incredible leaders what they are doing is being their best selves and there's a brilliant phrase that um, Rob Joffe and Gareth Jones use. They, they're both professors at London Business School. And they talk about the, the best leaders. Then you, what you need to do is you need to be yourself more with skill. And I really like that. Be yourself more with skill. So that's just basically like being your brilliant self, trying to always improve, always get better, but also know the job's kind of not done. And so that's kind of what really helped me to go, OK, I'm going to stop trying to be this person or this way and actually realize that the best way for me to have a kind of positive impact and all the moments where I get you know the best feedback and seem to do you know the stuff that kind of really matters is always when I'm being myself but still working on making my, myself as amazing as I can that doesn't mean that you just kind of turn up and hope for the best I still believe in kind of working really hard on making your strength stronger on always being learning on asking for as much feedback as you possibly can so it will never be done. It's kind of this idea of a growth mindset of you can you can always improve, you can always get better. But it's starting with you, not starting with other people. And I think just giving up this idea of comparison. And I know I think whether it's parenting or at work or in any aspect of kind of life generally, I can't ever think of an example of where comparison particularly helps us. Perhaps you'll be able to come up with one. But I'm I've not and I'm naturally competitive and I'm really determined and I love to win in whatever kind of winning means but I think I also started to kind of let go of this idea of this is a competition to the top this is a kind of race to the top that's not that's not how any of us are going to be happy. You've touched on quite a bit around kind of pursuit of perfection and you know actually as soon as you can sort of stop seeing perfection as something that can actually is thing that can be attained and that anything that isn't perfect isn't perfect that was a bit of a breakthrough moment for me personally because I think this sort of desire to be perfect and to you know to for it to be right and then to actually go actually imperfection can actually be more beautiful than perfection and when you stop and think about that and think about you know your connection to human beings actually perfect human beings are a bit annoying but also they don't exist they're, they're, they're yeah, like don't... everybody has messiness no, nobody is kind of perfect in every way. Everyone, everyone is working hard, 
everyone is struggling with something. I think that that's kind of fair to say. And I think one of the things that I notice actually about everyone we talk to about resilience generally, and this has actually really helped me, particularly now that I run my own business, kind of back to where we started, is that one of the ways, it sounds counterintuitive, but one of the ways that you can build your resilience is also spending time doing things outside of your day job, outside of work, and not letting those things go. Because so often, so much of our identity now is wrapped up in the work that we do. And I think particularly if you then run your own business where, you know, my business is sort of me and it's quite hard to kind of separate those two things out. We were talking to Martha Lane Fox and she's incredible. She's on the board of like Chanel, Twitter. She's, she was on Radio 4 this morning talking about she's doing lots of work on reskilling. She is the chancellor for Open University. But she also had an incredibly serious car crash where she was in hospital for two years and she had to learn to walk again from scratch and one of the things that she told me was that actually one of the things that's really helped her in her personal life in her career generally is just to try and make sure that you don't kind of lose yourself to only one thing all of the time and I think some people naturally don't do that anyway they kind of they have that natural sense of balance and but if you're somebody like me where I get I do get very kind of focused on the work that I do. I could, I could spend I could spend seven days a week working actually really happily. And actually knowing that that's not good for you. It's not good for your brain. You've got to give your brain a break. You know, even before this, we were talking about you know going out and getting some fresh air and just how actually useful those kind of small things are just to just to make sure that you're not so absorbed in kind of one thing all of the time. Because I do think actually in the times where I've really needed it, building your resilience through having kind of multiple you know friends you've not kind of stopped stopped spending time with your friends and you're still interested in other things I mean we've been it's been an incredibly busy time for our business and I'd signed up to do a drawing course and I thought oh I don't know if I've got time you know I really went through that like this is a mistake I shouldn't have done it at this time it's two hours every Friday that seems like too much and then I thought if I can't do two hours at the end of every Friday on something that I really want to do for myself then I don't think I'm really practicing what I preach. And I'm so glad I did it because, and at times it was hard. In the middle of that, we had to go and take Max for um, a COVID test. And that was like a really stressful week. He's fine. And all sorts of things happened in that six weeks. But I'm still really pleased that I did it rather than didn't do it. And so I think that's one of the things that keeps coming up when I've talked to lots of leaders and just people from different, lots of different walks of life, actually, is just this thing of actually you build resilience in your day job by doing things outside of your day job. I think that's really, really interesting. And and so the idea of, I guess, having a more diverse lifestyle, I suppose, is something that, that I think is really helpful. Are there particular things that, that you think in terms of thoughts? So doing is one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So doing something different and, and that's distracting in itself and so on. But are there particularly sort of tips that you would give about thoughts and thinking, how you sort of push down those that voice in your head? Well, it's in my head anyway. It <laughs> tells me that of what I should be doing rather than what I am doing. Any advice on that, Sarah? Yeah. So often we're really good at seeing our big successes and also our big failures. And we sort of forget about all the stuff in between. And actually, it's, it's the stuff in between that actually really helps us to feel optimistic that really helps us to see the progress that we're making, even if it feels like it's been a tough day or a tough week or or a tough year. And so if you are feeling like, perhaps as you said, you're not having you know, really, really significant challenges, but you're just sort of looking for a bit more everyday resilience, which I think we all need to keep building our resilience reserves all of the time. 
so that they're there for when we really need them. And we never quite know when that's going to be. So I think it should be a continual endeavour rather than wait for some adversity to come our way and then then think, oh, now I need to be a bit more resilient. And I think one of the things that really helps is at the end of every day, just write down one very small success you've had that day. And that very small success uh, can come from any part of your day. And it's amazing that when you start doing that exercise, and actually it's really important that you not only reflect on it, but you record it in some way, even if you do it on your phone or just write it down. Because as Martin Seligman says, he's a positive psychologist, that there's something in the act of getting it out of your head and onto a bit of paper or even onto the notes bit of your phone that that matters, it encourages more active reflection. What we start to realise is those very small successes sometimes surprise us or are not the things that we were expecting. So if I think about yesterday, it was incredibly busy, really kind of full on day. Probably my very small success of the day, though, was the fact that I did, in the midst of that, go out for a walk in the rain, which sounds a bit bleak, but actually to, to still take the time to do that meant that I probably did better. I'm sure, actually, I'm sure I did better work kind of as a result of taking the time to do that. Or your very small success, as I just talked about, was you know, despite having a tough week, I still did that two hour drawing course on a Friday afternoon. And so you start to realise that I suppose it's a window into what are your successes? And often it's not the PowerPoint presentation. It's not the amount of hours that you work. It's, you know, it might be the moment that you help someone. Someone gave you a call because they were struggling a bit and you had a cup of tea and you had a chat. Maybe you had a chat with your sister and you've not chatted to her for a while or my sister said to me she's going to teach me um, chair yoga, apparently. So, you know, all of those kind of things, I think very small successes help us with our optimism, help us to see the progress we're making, but also help us to do more of the things that are the most important to us and matter to us in terms of being able to build our resilience. And I think that's something, that's an idea that I always come back to if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I'm feeling stuck, if I'm struggling to prioritise or just feeling a bit down, because it always reminds me that all of us, I promise, every day always have a very small success. And the more we kind of celebrate those, I think the stronger we are. I think that's fantastic. And I'm definitely going to do I that. So <laughs> I'm stealing that from you, Sarah. I'm going to start that today. So thank you so much. Because I think there's a great, great temptation that so many people have just when it, there's a lot, always a lot to do. Right. Just work harder. Just do more. Yeah. Just don't take the break. You know, just put in the few extra hours. And so uh, I think that's fantastic, fantastic advice. I also love the fact that, you know, as you say, you're building this resilience bank, this reserve yeah. of resilience is so important. And I've also done the mental health first aid training. And one of the key things I took away from it was that when we're asked to think about mental health, often we think about mental illness, but really thinking about mental health and well-being we should be thinking about the positive work that you can do to build resilience and of course it's one of the reasons why this podcast exists it's getting people to think about it before you need it to know that everybody needs it at some mm -hmm. time every single one of us will have moments in the day or periods of periods of times so they they might be days they might be weeks they might be months where we don't feel our full self, you know, our best self and actually being open about that and being able to recognise that and then being able to adapt and take steps on it is so important this week. Right. I mean, I think and one of the things about COVID times is I think is that it has made those conversations so much more frequent and easy to have that people are asking 
how are you and not just expecting a cursory I'm fine and then move on we've got some questions for you now Sarah what track would you put on to change your mood uh probably Kate Bush running up that hill gosh I'm a I'm big a, Kate Bush fan. Me too. See, all these things get revealed in these podcasts. I should <laughs> shut up, really, shouldn't I? Wow, very good. Why that particular track? I'm interested. I think I have a certain nostalgia for it. So I kind of I remember it a bit from my, my childhood. Um, I love Kate Bush generally. I kind of like how I still, I just feel like she's so different and alternative and sort of just does, I feel like she definitely follows her own path and her own way so I did, there's something about her that I just love and then I think you know running up that hill running up that road with no problem it's just like I don't know and the beat that goes behind it yeah. there's something about the momentum of that track that just makes me go like yep like I, it almost it just even talks to you makes me like nod my head and just feel like like let's just keep going it's going to be okay just keep moving forward one step at a time we'll get there I think that's fantastic. Thank you. She's a, she does come with this sort of sense of free freeness, freedom, doesn't she? This yeah, that's fantastic. We'll add that to our list. <laughs> and the next question is a top tip to stay in a positive mindset. This is tough. You shared so many tips with us already, so do feel free to to use one you've already said. But what what's your top tip to stay positive? Well, we talked about individually doing very small successes, but probably my favourite thing that people do as a team is win of the week. So particularly on a Wednesday, um, I think Wednesday win of the week is nice. So rather let's not, because people are working in so many different ways now, sometimes I think we're a bit tied to doing this on a Friday. And I think the midweekness gives it an extra, I don't know, dimension or kind of boost and encouraging teams, whether they are using technology to do this. I think you can do this on an instant messenger. Some people do it as part of their team meetings. And just you start that, you start the day, you start your Wednesday with your win of the last week. And again, it can be how your, it can be a personal win, it can be a professional win, it can somebody, it can be somebody else's win that you've been part of. So it can be anything. And I think when I've seen lots of teams do that, you also learn so much about your colleagues and the people that you work with. And it's a brilliant moment where everybody just sort of celebrates everybody else's wins. So you don't have to call it that, you can call it whatever you want, but I really like the idea of kind of collective wins um, as well as individual ones. I love that. That's another thing I'm stealing now. (laughs) I'm definitely gonna try that with my team. I think that's fantastic. Next up is your book. Which book would you recommend? I love to read, so I found that a very hard question. But I'm going to do a particularly relevant one for right now, which is a book called Keep Moving, which is by a poet called Maggie Smith. And Maggie Smith writes incredibly eloquently and accessibly about how to keep moving through things that are difficult. So for her, she went through a very hard divorce. Uh, She had various different kind of things happen in her life, but also it feels particularly pertinent to 2020. And she just writes with... um, a kind of simplicity but also a lot it's very kind of powerful so if you want to get a feel for the book you can follow on Instagram and she'll often post kind of quotes from it you know it's not you know sometimes when we think of poetry we think oh but I don't really read poetry it feels more like a story but then kind of with short phrases and I think for anyone who just needs a bit of uh, an uplift right now or just needs need something to kind of help them with their resilience that's easy to read, that you can pick up and put down. You could read two pages while you're making a cup of tea. I think it's a great read and it will look great on your bookshelf. This conversation has 
absolutely demonstrated that you are a resilient superwoman. No <laughs> question, right? So those credentials in the bag, done. But what would you consider to be your particular resilience superpower? Oh, it's really hard. I can't decide between one or two things. You can say them both. You can, can I say them both? One I feel like there. that's cheating because you are desperately trying to do this. It's more like a rapid fire round. And I feel like I've just expanded that's on it. That's okay. Don't um, I think perhaps two things. One of my resilience superpowers, I think, is my optimism. And I think the optimi- optimistic mindset that I kind of bring to things kind of day in, day out, and that enthusiasm, which, again, I think I thought I had to hide, but I've decided that actually it's a really useful thing. So that's, so that's really good. And then I think my other resilient superpower is just, I think, being really spending time figuring out what's been most important to me, because I think we all have loads of choices to make about what we spend our time doing, how much time we spend working. Everybody is, as we kind of talked about, juggling lots of different things in their life. And I think when I got really clear on my values, so the things that really motivate and drive me, I think my values have really helped me to kind of keep resilient to make what might look like brave decisions to other people, but I knew were the right decisions for me and stopped that kind of curse of comparison kind of getting in my way. Oh, fantastic. I have so enjoyed talking with you and hearing you, Sarah, and I've learned so much. So thank you so much for taking the time and spending it with us. It's been great, hasn't it, Alex? Yeah, very oh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and as ever, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with Sarah where I haven't come away with a good couple of things to either watch or listen to. <laughs> um, but it's been fantastic. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been really great.